Hi, this is uh, not Sean Connery, because uh, if it were, I would be extremely old. Uh, but uh, if you'd like to listen to podcasts about your favorite movies that you have never seen yet, uh, join us for the 430 movie, and perhaps we'll have another Bond week. If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, hi, this is uh, not really George Lucas, but uh, I just want to encourage you to, if you're listening to podcasts, uh, why not listen to The Rebel and the Rogue? Uh, you might as well. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, co-host of Inglorious Trexperts. If you're a Star Trek fan who thinks you know everything about the history of Star Trek, check out my best-selling two-volume oral history of Star Trek from St. Martin's Press, The 50-Year Mission, available wherever books, digital, and audiobooks are sold. Producer's log. This is uh, Gene Roddenberry, and uh, I'm starting on the fourth season of Star Trek. And uh, after a, a rather bumpy third season, I've come back, and and I think we're going to give this a go one more time. I think it uh, it could be very exciting. Uh, the only question is, uh, who are the new group of writers going to be to provide the new stories that Kirk and Spock and all the rest are going to uh, enjoy as we travel through the season with them. Um, oh, come in. Oh, hey, uh, Susan wasn't out there, so uh, we, we let ourselves in. I hope you don't mind. Oh, no, that's that's quite all right. Why don't you uh, come in? How many of the of you are there? Yeah, well, there are three of us, and we, we, heard, uh, we just heard the good news that NBC is uh, picking up uh, uh, Star Trek for fourth season. Well, you you heard it at about the same time as I did because it was very surprising to me. Uh, but but do come in. Uh, well, we, you could say we've traveled oceans of time to be here. Um, to, well, that's a very interesting turn of phrase. Why don't you Why don't you sit down and be more comfortable? Oh, great, thank you, Gene. I, I want to introduce you. This is Steve Melching. Steve Melching um, has been involved with a lot of TV shows. Um, he did. Um, uh, uh, Have Gun Will Travel, Rebels, mm -hmm. um, and he did um, uh, he did uh, um, 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 uh, Mannix and the Boy Robots, mm -hmm. and uh, he's he's done a lot of, a lot of really cool stuff. There's there was a show called um, uh, X Men, uh, the 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 uh, it was done uh, live on uh, Playhouse Ninety. It was, you may it, have was heard a, of it. it was a sequel to the G Men. Oh, good. <laughs> that's that's right. So you know, kind of like an FBI show, but but not quite. And uh, oh, over here good. is the uh, the great Ashley Miller. He's an expert in Norse mythology, um, and of course also worked briefly in the Playhouse ninety uh, X Men world. And uh, I wrote a, a, a really a first class film about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh yes, it's fantastic. Well, that, that's certainly fascinating. I, I think I think that we we like to deal with uh, sort of uh, current topics as well. And uh, but we we put a little twist on them to uh, make it go past the censors, which is uh, kind of fun for us in the in the producers' room. Uh, and and who are, who are you, sir? Oh, uh, my name's uh, Mark Mark Altman. I I'm a big fan of the show. I've I've worked on on, on a bunch of series, some mythological uh, stuff that touches on mythological elements, and uh, worked on shows, a library, a library about a library, a very popular show as well, and uh, secret I'm a, agent show. I'm a big show. fan of books. 
Oh, I, I enjoy I enjoy books. Very sometimes well, we can tell from how literate your show is. Well, sometimes even more than people, I <laughs> I enjoy them more. Um, so why don't you why don't you uh, uh, start with uh, giving me an idea of uh, of uh, where you're thinking the show would go? But before before you start out, I want to tell you that we've had uh, a series of uh, rather big shot writers come through these doors, and uh, uh, they don't always uh, uh, take to uh, adapting our way of telling a story and uh, the Star Trek uh, method. Um, I just want to say that we we have uh, you know very uh, very strict rules in how we deal with our characters and how how they interact and and how we lay out a story is very important to the uh, to the drama of it all. And there should be some sort of uh, important context that we're putting our characters in that they have to deal with that is. Uh, you know, giving giving us more than just the the six shooters and the action. I think we need to we need to take it in a in a more meaningful uh, area for the uh, for the people watching our show. Mm. Well, I'll tell you. You know, I know you were developing a story at the end of last season called "The Joy Machine" from uh, Ted Sturgeon, and uh, the Bill was going to direct that one. And it sounds really relevant, especially where we come from. It's uh, about a Federation colony that's addicted to a machine that stimulates the brain's pleasure centers, uh, and they experience hours of joy in exchange for work hours. I mean, uh, that to me sounds very relevant to today's audience. Right. You could call it like Twitter or something. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. Or Instagram. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, those are words I don't understand what you're talking they're about. They're worship but words. They're, they're <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I, I, I like, I like the direction of that uh, of that story. Um, I mean, it, it's pretty far out science fiction wise to imagine that there would be some kind of planet wide application or app that mm. could stimulate the brains of billions of people simultaneously and, and sort of distract them from uh from their normal goings on and development right. yeah and, and sort of uh uh change the course of nations and 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 pick leaders and and destroy uh the lives of of those who dare turn against the C- transgress for example, comedians comedians who might transgress and there might be a, a, a dark side to the whole thing where you know people feel the joy all the time but but the the price is they have to keep um, using this this machine to keep feeling good and and if they don't get enough feedback from the machine or the other people on the machine they start to feel bad very very bad well it's a it, it's I would think it would be uh, equal to the experience someone might deal with if they're uh, uh, dealing with uh, hard drug abuse uh, I would think um, it, it's very closely related to the uh, story we had in our in our first pilot movie uh, where uh, Captain Pike uh, comes across the uh, the Talosians who are uh, addicted to their own forms of entertainment that have uh, 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 kept their society from developing and from rebuilding their own machines and and uh, they basically revert to a, a, an only uh, uh, a mind state where they where they relive illusions through others. Where are you on Kirk meeting God? I think we have we've dealt with that story many times. Actually, <laughs> um, whether God is a is a child or whether God is a a machine of some kind, um, I'm I'm uh, very open to those sort of ideas of dealing with the the meaning of what God is and uh, and how human beings interact with it. 
But what if God needs a starship? Well, I would think that if God needed a starship, he would uh, he would contact our characters and try and get one from them. Uh, I think that would be an interesting story. Well, Gene, what, what characters are you looking to service this season? Obviously, Bill Shatner as Kirk is, is so important, but that dynamic with the, with Spock, I would imagine, is something that you really want to explore more Well, those deeply. are important, but I think that, uh, you know, any story that can involve Nurse Chapel uh, are would be good things to explore and, and push forward. I think she is a, a very vibrant character, and uh, I would like to see more stories involving her. I tell you it. what, I, I think you being the showrunner, we should let you explore Nurse Chapel, and maybe we can focus on some of the other characters. Well, I see you're being very funny, but uh, uh, why don't you uh, just tell me what your ideas might be, <laughs> well, and I mean, uh, are, we can get on with that. Are all the cast members returning for the fourth season? Or I heard there were some, maybe some contract issues with some of them, or were those resolved? Well, uh, I believe Leonard had a, a problem with the way his, uh, his uh, uh, face was being used in, in advertisements. Oh. I, I think that that has been dealt with. Uh, with uh, a payment of uh, a certain amount. I'm not exactly sure what happened there. That was uh, 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 people dealing with the money that I I tend to not like to talk with. Well, you know, I know Dorothy had a wonderful idea about um, McCoy's daughter, Joanna, um, which, you know, Fred butchered in This Way to Eden. Is that something you want to explore again? You know, I think think that part of the the, uh, magic about our characters is that the more we learn about them, the the less they're interesting to us. I think that I think that uh, the more that is revealed about their backstories. I mean, not, not necessarily Mr. Spock, because I think that some of the journeys we went with him, learning about his uh, family, uh, etc. Like his brother. I don't recall Spock ever having a brother, <laughs> but I think some of those uh, some of those stories were very interesting and sort of opened up that character. But, for example, I don't think that uh, exploring much of the backstory of Kirk or McCoy, uh, unless it's an excellent story, uh, and uh, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't use those as the basis for a story. I would use that to sort of uh, sweeten up the pot if it's necessary. Well, you know, Gene, it's no secret that you're not a huge fan of comedy. I wonder, you know, I know David wants to come back and do uh, more Trouble, More Tribbles about uh, the return of the Tribbles. Is that something you're interested in exploring? Uh, again, I think if it's a good story and not just a retread of the uh, of the original episode, I think that uh, uh, we, we would certainly uh, look at it and see if it uh, comes into uh, the area of something we'd be interested in. Well, try this one on for size, right? Because it, there have been so many great stories in Star Trek so far that I think would just lend themselves to even deeper exploration. Uh, 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 going back to a certain extent, like more troubles, uh, more trouble, more trouble. Um, what if, just hear me out, uh, Captain Kirk discovered that having left Khan uh, with the crew of the Botany Bay um, discovers that, in fact, uh, one of the planets in the system exploded and most of the crew of the Botany Bay was killed and now Khan is seeking his revenge against Captain Kirk. I don't know. I mean, are you are you feeling that at all, like a, a good revenge story? It's sort of Moby Dick in a way. Right. 
you know, and you could ooh, you could even bring in like he could have Kirk could have a son. He could have had like, you know, some old flame. It's like it's his past coming back to haunt him. He could wear glasses. Well, this has only happened two years ago. So I, I don't I, I don't think Kirk could have a a son in at least that amount of time. Wow. No, no, no. I, like, I don't think. Know, but back but, in the but, academy, back in the academy. Well, because you know, he was kind of a dog back in the academy. I mean, come on. Well, perhaps. But then that begs the question, why haven't we heard of him already? Um, I think that's an interesting idea, and I, I'm certainly open to uh, pursuing ties to uh, previous episodes. Uh, we've we've done it uh, before with the Mud character, um, but I, I I think the big question is why wouldn't you know why wouldn't the Federation deal with something after a catastrophic planet explosion? Why wouldn't they go over there and check things out for themselves? Uh, I think that. That would be the more logical uh, uh, conclusion about that. I don't think that uh, something as large as a, a planetary uh, uh, explosion would uh, would go unnoticed for so long. So uh, that's that's my only question about that. Um, but I, I certainly enjoyed uh, uh, Mr. Montalban's uh, performance, and uh, uh, I certainly enjoy the the character of uh, Khan Noonien Singh. Uh, Perhaps we can uh, visit that another day. An Earth probe returns to Earth, and we find out that it was a probe sent out by Earth. An Earth probe returns to Earth, and we find it's a probe. We were originally sent by humanity, and it has now returned super powerful and is threatening our world. I think we've done that with the uh, Nomad story. (laughs) Uh, I think you're right. Unless I'm mistaken. Mm -hmm. I, I don't... I, you know, I, well, what if it wants to find whales? Why would it want to find whales? <laughs> uh, I I don't know, but you what mean if the there country? Y- yes, it wants to find the country of whales. I don't know, like maybe um, it's looking for whales, but uh, but all the whales have died out because um, humanity has like hunted them to extinction, and so in order to save the Earth from total destruction, our crew has to travel back in time to find a couple of humpback whales to sing to this pro- probe. That's coming to destroy. That, that's a that's a fairly silly idea, but maybe it could be it could be pounded into an interesting, uh, uh, you know, fifty three minute story. Um, it's uh, it's we though we have slightly more of a budget this year than we did last year. Uh, it's not all that much more, and I think uh, having any whales in the in the story would uh, be uh, cost prohibitive. Uh, I'd have to uh, ask. Uh, uh, our uh, uh, line producers about that. About Do you how ever we could... see um, a world in which there would be a rapprochement between the Federation and the Klingons? Uh, you know, Glasnost maybe sending a message that the Soviet Union and the United States could maybe one day even become friends. You know, I'd like to. I'd like to avoid, uh, if we can, any more dealings with the Klingons. I, I've never been. I've never been too much of a fan of them. I, I always thought that they were uh, more of the mustache twirling kind of villains. That uh, uh, I think. I think we're more evolved than that in terms of our villains. So you say you'd rather do Romulan stories. Well, perhaps if that, if that's uh, you know I, I I'd prefer uh, you know villains that uh, I create myself. Uh, uh, in uh, in other words, the the Klingons re- really were done when I was turned uh, turned around and working on something else. So I, I I'd, I'd rather uh, I'd rather focus on something that I had more of a creative uh, uh, hand in. 
Mm. Perhaps the uh, perhaps some uh, something like the the Romulans are uh, accused of meddling in the election of the Federation president in some way, and uh, the crew of the Enterprise has to uh, investigate the uh, you know the skullduggery involved in the in this. Uh, you know, we're talking about the legitimacy of the Federation as could be at stake here. No, no complicity. No, you know, some sort of collusion between <laughs> alien races. To you're, I think you're you're talking about a a large story. I think I think we need to sort of reduce these kind of things mm-hmm. into a into a, a, a series episode mm-hmm. format rather than these uh, rather large ideas. We need to we need to uh, uh, personify it a little more mm-hmm. with uh, you know actual interaction between characters. I mean. It's it's good to have uh, the larger view of things, but I think that uh, without the without the uh, episodic story to drive that, uh, uh, it's it's not it's not really worth world building if if the stories aren't interesting. So I guess you're kind of saying that like having a bunch of episodes where we find out that like some member of our crew has been from the mirror universe all along. And then we have to go there and kind of hang out and do stuff. It's like push him off a bridge or something <laughs> would be right out. Like you're just not. I don't. Into that I don't end. really see the point of doing that unless it's interesting. It doesn't. The way you're describing it doesn't sound very interesting to me. Forgive me, but uh, it, I appreciate uh, the honesty. <laughs> I I, th- I think that uh, you know we have to be a little more um, sort of compact in our storytelling. And the the idea of uh, of I don't know serializing things doesn't really appeal to me as a producer. I I, uh, I enjoy the more uh, uh, compartmentalized stories uh, that we can tell during a season. So you tell us then, like for you, what is your platonic ideal of a Star Trek episode? What do you think was the best episode that the show has done? Well, you know, I think that uh, any story that deals with uh, uh, our characters uh, basically uh, coming across a, uh, a, a, a strange new world and seeing a society or peoples that are behaving in ways that we can recognize as 20th century men and, uh, and we see where they are... Uh, where they are misled, perhaps, or uh, or hindered by some uh, outside force that we can have a uh, uh, an effect on as the as the representatives of the of the larger federation in the galaxy. I think that it's uh, it's a good thing when our characters bring a society out of darkness, perhaps. And uh, uh, show them the way to become uh, bigger participants in the galaxy itself. So then, kind of going with that that logic, that maybe with this joy machine story, the the Captain Kirk solution would be to find a way to shut down the joy machine forever and force people to actually have to deal one another with one another in person and in real ways. I think that's a that is a a valid uh, direction that that story should take, and uh, I, again, I think the the telling of the story should be a little more compartmentalized than uh, uh, 
to have a whole planet dealing with this. Perhaps it is it is one sector of the of the planet that is dealing with this, or or things of that nature. I think that the the obviously the trope of Kirk coming in and talking to a machine and having it shut down based on his words alone is uh, a little bit overused. And I think that there might be a, a more uh, 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 maybe he clever, seduces it. A, a, well, I mean, he he the character certainly uh, can go in that direction. Uh, obviously, depending on what uh, lovely guest star we would get to play the joy machine, uh, would uh, would help that out a bit. Uh, I would I would certainly uh, start casting for that myself right away. I feel like, are you saying, you know, maybe we involve our characters directly in the story by having someone, say, a Sulu or a McCoy on an away mission down to the planet's surface uh, and something happens by which they are stranded or otherwise cut off from the Enterprise and they they become involved in the workings of this machine and sort of become brainwashed by it? I think I think it's essential to have our connection with the situation on the planet be directly related to our uh, caste and our family. Uh, because otherwise, it uh, it seems as if our uh, our caste are merely guest stars in their story sure. rather than they being guest stars in ours. Well, in, in taking this to further the story a little bit, if this joy machine works by forming connections, someone like Sula might... Form, send a, a friend request to someone on board the ship. And, and so this, this virus, it's like a virus that infects the crew of the ship so that the, the casts on the ship as well gets drawn into this network. I think that would be, a, that, that would be a, certainly a, a good way to connect our uh, cast with the actual goings-on on the planet. Therefore, um, if if whatever this joy machine is, its influence becomes apparent on our own ship, uh, number one, that could, uh, that could make the uh, remote locations uh, less in need of having scenes down on the planet, and we could have those scenes up in our existing sets. I think that would al- always be a, uh, a viable direction to go in. And it could pose a real threat to the crew, even to the oh, unity sure. of the crew, a little like Day of the Dove, but without those silly Klingons or some of the other silly things about that episode. And um, it would give a real motivation for Captain Kirk to need to seduce or talk the joy machine into destroying itself or shoot it with a phaser or whatever that solution is. I mean, and if it, Kirk, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, I, I was just going to say, I, I think like, the, you know, if it was Sulu going down to the planet, you know, and he's like, you know, they're on a survey mission, you know, and uh, he, you know, loses his communicator and he has to jury rig something together. And and the only way to contact the ship is like is through this system. And so he like innocently an instant message. Yes, of some an kind. instant message. And that becomes like it's just that little thing. It's just that little gateway that opens it up to the whole ship. And now, you know, it's 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 threatening everything. I, I think it'd be really, really great. Well, and if Spock, you know, who may be may be immune to this uh, mm-hmm. because it is a more. A, a network that relies on emotion uh, to yes, connect. Yes. If he's on the bridge, but he's frustrated because the view screen. Well, is frustrating. C- frustrated is an emotion. Thwarted. Thwarted. Right. Yes. Thwarted by the view screen, always filling up with pictures of cats or a crew member's <laughs> dinner. 
<laughs> that they're sharing constantly. And so he can't use it for its proper function. Well, that's certainly an interesting idea. Um, I'm trying to wrap my mind around why exactly that would happen, but I'll, I'll take your word well, that that's happening. Because the crew is so entertained by it, and they've so lost their ability to to prioritize right. uh, that they want to share things, and they realize they that the view screen is a great way to share it dumbest stuff possible. That's right. Lots of videos of um, goats who scream like Klingons. Ah, yeah, yeah. Cats well, that's, playing that's, the piano. That's, that's very interesting. I, I think that, I think that, we're straying a, a bit <laughs> from the uh, from the need of uh, the many uh, of of determining stories for our season. Well, you have a bunch of other stories that you've been sitting on potentially. I just wonder. There's one, a, a deep mud. Uh, Stephen Candell turned that in, which is a outline uh, where Harry Mud would escape uh, um, the planet of robots and team up with a bunch of. Uh, of of uh, pirates uh, is it a Harry Mudd a character that you want to revisit this season? I I wouldn't mind revisiting the Harry Mudd character. I think he he is uh, he's a a very popular foil for uh, uh, Shatner as Kirk, and I think that uh, the the character can uh, embody the uh, the the darker uh, aspects of the human condition occasionally, mm. and still maintain. Uh, a likability that is necessary. Um, uh, he he in the past he has been more of a direct threat to uh, our characters, uh, but perhaps he can be he can be more of an ally this time with uh, perhaps something that he gets involved in that he gets uh, that gets over his head that he needs our help now to help him through it. I think that might be an interesting way to deal with that type of story. Well, and, and of course, you know, plenty of opportunities for lovely lady guest stars. Am I right? <laughs> yes, I, I would think that that would be uh, very, uh, very important to the show. Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, it's our duty to uh, uh, bring in the... Uh, to bring exposure to well uh, exciting young actresses. <laughs> You're not going to get an argument here. I, I think that, uh, I think that the stories are always uh, uh, made more uh, uh, accessible and uh, and more delightful with uh, uh, certainly the uh, female of the species. Boy, do I have a pitch for the joy machine. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Well, you know what? I'm I'm going to think about it a little bit more before I pitch it out. But I think it's really great. But just oh, things right. that you can share on the view screen. You know, because yeah, when just... I, oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I, I was just, I was just thinking. You know, I know Norman Spinrad had uh, had pitched you uh, a script for Milton Berle, uh, which yes. I, I thought was odd casting. He walks among us, I believe. He, he walked among us, yes, and and uh, and and you know, it it seems like it's very relevant, uh, but it, it, you know, to stuff redolent of things you've done before. I mean, uh, a, a race, a primitive race that embraces super modern technology beyond their capabilities. And it's, uh, you know, uh, because of a Federation sociologist played by Milton Berle, who would uh, dis disseminate this technology, uh, hoping to do good. But ultimately, it does a bad thing that we have to correct. It sounds a lot like patterns of force and a lot of things we've done before. There are elements of that, I think. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I was I was not always uh, in favor of, of a... Uh, this is more of a star vehicle for uh, Milton Berle, I think, than uh, than we usually have on the show. Um, uh, I think it's an interesting story. I I uh, 
I think that what I I didn't like about the about the idea for the uh, for the show was that because Milton Berle is such a known uh, uh, personality, that I think that that would deflect from his uh, his actual impact as a character. That people would always be looking at Milton Berle and not looking at the character that he's portraying. Well, you know, and and of course, depending how tight his slacks are, they might be looking at something else, and it could provide a real distraction, not only to the female cast but the the NBC censors. I've heard those rumors as well. Uh, I I don't have any personal knowledge about that, but I understand what you're speaking of. Um, we are, we we've had we've had various uh, writers come in and and pitch us ideas that are are so similar to previous episodes that we've done that uh, it becomes a little danger of us repeating ourselves over and over again. And I think that uh, unless we are very clever with uh, giving it sort of new twists on those ideas, unless we're very clever, we're going to wind up. Uh, merely repeating ourselves, and I don't, I don't want to do that. Well, is there a desire to focus more on some of the other characters other than the Troika of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy? Maybe Sulu, Chekhov, uh, um, other than Nurse Chapel, of course. Well, I mean, I, I, I hesitate to do that because, uh, to me, the other, the other characters, while certainly part of the family, are, uh, are not really the stars of the show. I mean, they, they've always been there in sort of support uh, uh, mannerisms. And I think that it's, it's, a, it's a question of uh, what their characters can actually provide uh, to the story that our, that our main characters cannot. I think that if there's any instance when, when our main characters can uh, have, a, have a part in the story, then I think that is the direction we should go and not try and focus on the secondary characters because unfortunately I think a lot of those secondary characters are really not as interesting as we'd like them to be. Uh, and obviously if, uh, if you gentlemen have ideas for stories that, uh, uh, that change my mind, I'm certainly open to that kind of thing. But uh, it's, uh, it's really a question of we, we do have uh, highly paid uh, stars of this show, and we, we should better u- uh, utilize them in the best way that we can. Uh, and that's just my feeling on it. Has uh, Stanley Robertson and the network given you any uh, uh, idea of, of what they'd like to see this season from the NBC perspective? Well, I think that they're, they're not just now uh, dealing with uh, sort of breaking down uh, the various categories of viewers uh that's that's what i hear from the uh from the nielsen group is, is they're they're starting to determine exactly what sections of the audience are watching at, at any particular time and uh from what i'm told our our, our viewership in in the highly desired uh younger uh viewers uh, is very high indeed and uh, they wouldn't have known about this uh, last year. And so that's one of the reasons why we're back for another year, because they want to, uh, they want to get the attention of those younger uh, viewers, I-, I believe from 18 to uh, 25 or something like that. I'm not exactly certain. But uh, it's, uh, it's certainly a, a, a grist for our mill to uh, be able to uh, come up with some more stories that... I think deal with the uh, 
the realities that the younger viewers experience, perhaps. Like the Joy Machine. <laughs> you're, you're really, you're really excited the about machine. the Joy Machine, aren't you? <laughs> I love the Joy Machine. Do you have any other ideas for uh, for uh, Mr. Roddenberry for, uh, for the fourth season? Uh, well, I had this thing about um, a Klingon moon exploding, and uh, but I don't know if that's going to work because you don't like the Klingons. Well, we certainly have uh, other uh, aliens. Yeah, that, that's true. Uh, that certainly could be used. I mean, I'm I'm not against the uh, the idea of Romulans. I think they are they they could be uh, interesting, uh, and uh, you know, there's nothing that stops us from. Uh, establishing new characters, new races, new... I mean, we... Like an entire next generation of Star Trek. That's not exactly what I was talking oh. about, but I, I, I meant to say that, uh, you know, new races that we can encounter. Mm. Uh, the, the, the galaxy isn't just filled with Klingons and Romulans and, and an occasional Gorn. Uh, like maybe there's some, like, really little dudes who are super-duper into money. Uh, I deal with them every day. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Um, imagine uh, the Enterprise just gets thrown across the the entire galaxy, and they encounter an, an all new race. Uh, maybe they're cybernetically enhanced. It's uh, they've been harvested and, and connected through uh, cybernetic implants, and now work together as a totality, and like the Joy uh, Machine. <laughs> and they're 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 intent on 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 assimilating our our our, our crew. And then maybe Trelane could come and save them. Well, I, I I don't have anything against Bill Campbell. I think he's a he's a fine actor, but uh, uh, I don't think we need to bring him in again. I mean, uh, the, we, we certainly we have lots more stories and different stories that we can bring in new characters and and uh, enjoy uh, new experiences on the show mm. rather than as I said before, rather than rehashing old. Uh, acquaintances and uh, certainly uh, creative people can come up with uh, different types of aliens that we can encounter. After all, we've uh, we've only uh, visited a, a very small part of the galaxy in the previous seasons, and I think that uh, moving out there farther uh, would certainly open the story to uh, much uh, more interesting societies. So you're saying that the Enterprise should be thrust into another. Uh, a quadrant and then have to make their way home to Earth over a 70-year journey. Well, that certainly sounds uh, problematic to me. Uh, I think, uh, though it, it might be interesting seeing how uh, Kirk and crew uh, deal with the idea of being uh, alone and basically Lost in on space. The, well, let's not say those words in this office so we've had we've had certainly uh, dealings uh, with CBS before and I I'd rather not again uh, but uh, the uh, the question of uh, of Kirk and his crew being on their own and not responsible to the Federation is uh, might be interesting and, and it could it could show what types of people they are when they are forced to deal with uh, new mysteries on their own uh, without the guidance of Starfleet, perhaps. Well, what if they encounter, say, um, something that 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 feels like an anti-Federation that has different species uh, that are parts of it? Like there's a warrior race, and there's like a race of 
um, you know, functionaries, politicians, diplomats, and and there are maybe others. You could call them, I don't know, like a, a dominion. And maybe you know they have very different values from the from the federation, but but we're constantly encountering um, elements of this society that have diff very different values from our own. But we're not always necessarily just dealing with say the way we are with the Klingons or the Romulans. It's just it's always that monoculture. It's it's a it's a different sort of society. And maybe there are different castes, and some of them are uh, kept deliberately hooked on some kind of narcotic drug. Right. That is constantly being pumped into them in order to make them more warlike uh, hmm. in battle. There could be shapeshifters. You don't know. Well, I, I think it's our job to know. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the that's the that's the key here. It's a, it's our job to come up with these interesting stories. I I I think that these that those ideas that you have brought up are are certainly interesting starting points. And if they provide the fuel for interesting and engaging stories, that's the that's the true uh, need that we have. Uh, again, the the world building is fine, uh, but you have to have an interesting story to fill your fifty three minutes. Well, and and character. So I have an idea. I'm gonna th I'm just gonna pitch this out to the room and see what uh, what Mr. Roddenberry thinks. Uh, um, so uh, you talk about maybe bringing in a fresh character, a new character. So this is like, uh, you know, maybe a new member of the bridge crew that uh, comes in. And, uh, you know, he's a guy. He's about, you know, 40s, about six feet tall, brown hair, beard. He's just a really cool guy. You know, he kind of knows a little bit about everything and he can kind of help all the other characters do their jobs, you know, to a better degree. And, um, you know, he's just brings a lot of jokes and humor to the situation. And, uh, you know, maybe he doesn't have a lot of friends and kind of lives alone. And um, he plays a trombone, plays a trombone. I don't really know where you're going with this idea. Uh, it 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 doesn't sound like it's uh, it doesn't sound like it's interesting at all to me, actually. Um, I I, th I think you're going to have to be a lot more specific well, with well, you know, his purpose him, and why you would bring him in. Well, you know, I had a name. You know, I call him Gary Stu, and uh, he's just kind of uh, you know sort of a an audience identification or a writer identification figure. Um, well, I don't think we need that at all because the, if we're if we're good writers, our characters will become the characters that the audience identifies with. Let me, let me ask you. Obviously, we're dealing with a mental health crisis here in America. We just had the, that sniper at the University of Texas, and we're dealing with a lot of crime and 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 and, and awful things. And 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 there's not. The kind of healthcare and mental health professionals oh, we need. A lot of our veterans coming home, coming home from, from Vietnam, the war from Vietnam. They, they need the help of, of somebody who can listen and 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 and, and advise them, and if necessary, proper medications. So I wonder, what do you think about potentially having a therapist on board who could help people with their issues and 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 mental health and and. Uh, you know, that's actually not a bad idea at all. Uh, in fact. Um, I had actually toyed with that idea about having uh, Nurse Chapel become a uh, become a therapist of sorts. Uh, you know, she could helping. get a lot more screen time that way. Well, this okay. is true. This is true, and it's something that she's discussed with me occasionally. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I, I don't think that's a bad idea. Certainly, uh, 
we've we've touched on the sort of uh, the mental health of the galaxy before with um, uh, the uh, dagger of the mind. The, yes, that that episode with the uh, whom gods w- w- destroy. I, that was in the third season. I wasn't around for oh, uh, right. much of that. Um, but uh, yes, the, the 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 dagger of the mind episode with the uh, with the the brain mixer uh, chair uh, that was uh, that was fascinating. I think that the the perception that in the future mental illness is something that is uh, more easily dealt with, uh, I think, is a good thing. And I think that specifically our characters shouldn't really be dealing with those kind of things because after all, these are sort of the best of the best. They don't, uh, they, they go through many sorts of psychological tests to be in Starfleet and to certainly be assigned to such a, a, a advanced ship as the Enterprise is. And I think it's, it's uh, very important that uh, we don't show them having all of the same foibles that regular human beings do. These are, these are advanced human beings and they are uh, particularly well suited for dealing with this environment that they're in. Respectfully, what about Balance of Terror? I mean, the best thing about that episode is that Captain Kirk is struggling with the weight of what's happened um, with you know the, the death of uh, one of the people that he was marrying at the beginning. He wasn't marrying yeah. them, but he was actually performing the ceremony. He was performing beginning the ceremony, Beginning of the, yes. of the episode mm-hmm. and, and wondering about his ability to meet the threat of the, of the Romulan commander. And um, I mean, that great speech that, that Dr. McCoy gives him, I mean... Well, you see, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, but because of the, uh, of the uh, advanced capability of our characters... Dr. McCoy does uh, uh, fulfill that that role of a therapist almost. Uh, he is not only the ship's doctor, but he is the captain's trusted friend, and he uh, also is uh, very good at uh, showing the the more human fallibilities uh, of of uh, real people. And uh, I, I think that uh, any sort of uh, interact between our characters is important to show that they do in fact care about each other and they will try to help each other through problems um, but uh, the uh, as you as you know the main uh, the main part of that show was Captain Kirk uh, taking the information from all around him from Spock and McCoy and his uh, and his other various officers and uh, coming up with a decision himself uh, in the end. So we we need to show that these characters are self-reliant with the assistance of, uh, of their uh, talented crew. So fallibility is okay as long as they... As long as it's resolved in 53 oh, minutes. Oh, right. Okay, good. Right. Oh, so uh, another character pitch, because I, I really like the idea of Gary Stu. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you said that uh, that the network had really kind of started to key in on um, on the different viewerships. I, I Maybe we'll just 
call it demographics, uh, and really kind of interested in the the younger viewers, maybe a way to really excite mm. these people is a character who is perhaps uh, a younger man, maybe um, he has some personal connection to to Kirk. He's a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on the ship. He is incredibly bright and optimistic and hopeful, and he is perfect in every way. Uh, and you know he is a, a talented engineer, and Scotty could take him under his wing. Oh, I know just the and, actor for this and too. Everybody would love this character, um, Scotty's nephew. And there's a, there's this right. young kid, Robbie Wrist, who yeah. would be great um, to play him. Yeah. What do you think about that? Maybe I he mean, brings the the dog, the family, because you know it's always great to have a dog on the, the show because people love dogs. Yeah, they do, and they're really especially fine in the joy machine. With. A beagle, yeah, a beagle would be great, and you know they're they're not that difficult to work with. Not like a cat or a bird, but you yeah, know, you never dog... want a cat on a Star Trek. Show. No, I think you have to. A- I think you have to ask yourself: Would they allow this on a on a uh, a ship in the Navy today? Well, and the know, answer is have, probably no. Well, they have mascot uh, pets aboard ships, don't they? Don't some ships have a have a ship's dog? I'm I'm really not cat. familiar with that uh, kind of thing. Uh, uh, but this obviously, is the sometimes on submarines, little dogs. Gene Hackman. Back back to your. Imagine how useful a dog would be on an away mission. I mean, it you could, could sniff he out. Could sense and Captain Kirk was replaced by a shapeshifter. Yeah. Right. So it starts like, barking. Right. It would be like Toto in Wizard of Oz. Like whenever there's like something that's going to kill a red shirt from behind a rock, the dog would know mm. and try to warn everybody. Well, it it might be cheaper than a than a regular uh, cast member. That's for certain. So maybe get rid of somebody and bring in the dog. Yeah. Well, I know who I'd get rid of right now, but I think that uh, I think that a lot of people might complain if uh, if uh, Mr. Spock is not on the show. <laughs> <laughs> not if it's a cute oh, dog. Man. Well, what if there's a whole arc where he just gets turned into a dog? Spock the dog. Mm. Spock the dog. Yeah. You know, you just kind of ride him off the show, Here's replace Spock. Here's him Spock. with the dog. Come here. Yeah. You get no. one that sort of cocks his yeah, head like was. that. Just He's the some of the dog. You could have the pointy ears. Well, why don't you why don't you uh, do a test with the uh, costuming and put a blue shirt on him and show me how it oh, looks. And, and you could sell lots of toys, like little plush. Well, I'm certainly interested in, uh, in the uh, uh, availability of... Uh, products to offer to our audience. Well, Gene, I think we can say with great confidence, we really believe in the future of Star Trek. We think it's going to have, uh, it's going to live long and prosper, for lack of a better expression. I, I, I see what you did there. And, it's very clever. And and, uh, and we actually ha- have uh, have to have to skedaddle, um, but uh, we really believe in the future of the show, and um, and don't listen to any of our advice. I think I think you should... Oh, I don't tr- think you have to worry about you, that. You should tread your, your own path and uh, and 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 really boldly go. But think about the teenager thing. I think you'll really like that one. When and, you and the dog. And the dog. Well, th- thank you for coming to speak with me this afternoon, gentlemen. It's been it's been very uh, interesting. I, I will say that for you. And uh, I I wish you luck. Please, if you have any specific story ideas, uh, please send them to Susan, and and I'll uh, look them over. Uh, but uh, thank you again for joining me. It's been uh, very interesting. Well, Gene, and, and thank you. And, and, and before we go, do you have uh, some scotch we can uh, kind of... Uh, I see a bar over there in the corner. Maybe we have a little drink before we go. Well, yeah, perhaps we can do that. Why, why don't we... Wh- excuse me? I said, where are the snacks in this office? 
I mean, I'm, we, you know, it's a writer's room. I mean, there should be snacks. I, well, I, I think they're snacks. having lunch right now. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's a little that's a little oh. man joke oh. for you. We, um, thanks, Gene. We, we're happy Very to be uh, here in the uh, the heart building, <laughs> and uh, in your in your office here, and and uh, just um, well here. Why don't Why don't you uh, here grab grab a glass each one mm. of you, yep, and uh, one. I'll uh, I'll share uh, Try, some yeah. uh, some a drop of the true with uh, Cheers. Uh, wonderful uh, Cheers. people. Uh, good luck to each and every one of us, and. Uh, Whatever fleet oh, we end up serving wow, in is strong. <laughs> uh, live, live long and uh, and good life. Thank you, Gene. Mm, thank and, you, and and you as well. We'll we'll see you in the future, where we'll all spend the rest of our lives. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> My man, that was crazy. We were back in the '60s talking to Gene Roddenberry. Straight to dream. Yeah, where I was totally I? Hated we were, Wesley I told you I, to get out of the bathroom. I, I we were starting I had the to show. Go. And you gotta go. You gotta go. Oh man, you don't. You missed it. You missed it. We were in an alternate I... universe where Star Trek was picked up for a fourth season. Wow, it sounds awful. It would have been. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't. Good. Except for the joy machine. <laughs> it wow. was. It, it sounded. Every, 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 he got some really bad advice. And uh, I don't think he really had a handle on what he wanted to do for the fourth season. For wow. some reason, I pitched him putting a dog on the show. I yeah, that was why. weird. Wow, that's really. I don't odd. even have a dog. Who does that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 uh. It was it was a very interesting thing. But uh, I'm so glad that we were able to be joined by Steve Melching today. Steve Melching, of course, is a very very you wouldn't know it from the pitches, but a very very <laughs> talented writer, Emmy Award nominated writer. Um, he's worked on shows like Star Wars Rebels, Rusty and Big Guy the Boy Robot, Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot, <laughs> X-Men the Animated Series, um, and uh, he's just worked on a plethora of Star, Star Wars Resistance. Carmen uh, Sandiego, San San which recently debuted on Netflix. Uh, so um, Worked on some great shows, Star Trek Season 4 not being among them. <laughs> and uh, It's great to have Steve with us. Steve, of course, you can listen to every Friday on the 430 Movie as one of our, uh, uh, our glorious co-hosts. And, well, I'm, uh, I'm honored to be a guest on the Inglorious Trexperts. It's a terrific show. Well, thank you, and we're thrilled. We're thrilled to have you. And I mean, you know, have the opportunity to actually sit down and spend some time in the heart, uh, the building with uh, Gene Roddenberry. Uh, I was kept kept thinking somebody was going to come and kick us out, but he gave us a lot of his time. That was very generous of him. I bet it really smelled of cigarettes. It did, yeah. and other. And other things. I, I mean, I believe me, I checked the sofa before I sat yeah. down just to make sure. I could have been wrong, but I thought I saw someone under his desk. Well, they were really quiet. <laughs> like some high heels. I, 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 they were very quiet, and we were there for a while. So. Good for him. Good. Yeah. God <laughs> bless And, him. of course, Ashley E. Miller is here back on the show. Ashley E. Miller is the writer of such movies as Thor, X-Men First Class. He worked on such TV series as Black Sails, Fringe, Lore, and uh, he uh, is a semi my regular guest on Inglorious Trexperts. It's good to see you again, Ashley. It's good to be here. What do you think of Gene? Uh, he's an interesting cat, you know. Um, I, he's got obviously has very strong opinions on on Star Trek. I mean, particularly if it's Star Trek that he had something to to do with. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. There's such a desire, and we talked to, like, when we talked to Gene. To go back and repeat the familiar, right. mm -hmm. the stuff we loved. Uh, let's go back to Iosha Sigmaosha. Let's see Harry Mudd again. Right. You know, and the novels are the guiltiest of all of these. Sure. I mean, it seems like every other novel is about, or, and the comic books to a large extent. And 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 then um, you know, even the movies. Let's go back to Khan, or let's go back to Faux Khan. Right. Um, 
you know, and yet everybody says they want something original, but then you give them something original and they don't want it. Are we, you know, do we live in a world where you can get away with doing something original anymore? Or does people just want to have the same stuff, you know, in a different package? I think if you give people something original that is good, they will respond to it. The, the problem is that so many original things are just bad ideas or actual retreads of other ideas yeah. that we've already seen. Yeah. Um, well, when you're, you're talking about a movie, you know, or a, a high budget television show, you know, I, the, the studios and networks are so risk averse, mm -hmm. they don't want to take take the chance on doing something that's really or, too or they, original. Or they don't want to take the chance of being blamed for it. Right. right. Which is, I think, more accurate. And well, there's the the more positive way of looking at this, right? So, with the kind of the, the rise of of, uh, of very uh, serialized storytelling on television, and frankly, even in movies. I, I think that kind of comes from the same impulse to want to go back, right? Because why do we love um, the idea of, of, you know, of, of going back to, to, you know, to, to see the Ioceans, right? Like, why do we want to go back and see Khan? Because when we saw them for the first time, they were, they were such delightful little stories that mm. implied so much more. And I think what we're what we're hungry for isn't necessarily show us that again. It is show us more of that and go deeper because like, it, yeah. it touched yeah. us. And I think when we do it right, that's how it feels, man. Like right. that's that's the thing I think that people want to access. But there's definitely on the part of the studio or the network, there is that instinct of it's pre-sold. Right. Somebody gets it. There's a built-in audience. You, you don't do have to push same, the rock same, and yeah. not different same. That's right. Maybe we right. should have pitched Kirk saving JFK. <laughs> well, you probably should have. Well, maybe you can go back someday. Yeah, and maybe. I think from the, I'd like to go back there one day. <laughs> standpoint of some some uh, some creative people want to remake or revisit ideas out of a sense of wanting to become part of the original mm. yes. idea, yes, mm -hmm. and and sort of bask in its reflective glory sure. and become part of the story rather than doing something original. It's hard. I mean, and having you know either been been guilty or uh, you know just been involved in stuff like that before to, to varying degrees of success. I mean, there is obviously as a as a fan a desire to just kind of swim inside of those ideas that you love, those things that that formed us um, and contribute something to that, and then remembering that part of our responsibility, our creative responsibility, is to make a contribution to it that makes it something else. Um, there is no worse feeling than being involved in a project like that and waking up and realizing um, that you that you wrote the wrong thing right. or that you simply took something that you loved and you repackaged it and yep. then go, oh, now I have to actually throw this all out and I have to do something, I have to do something else with it. But you almost have to go through that process of um, of of being that fan or being that creative person who wants to sort of just be a part of it before you can move on mm -hmm. to the to the true reinvention or or the true extrapolation from the. Well, that was the a, that was something we grappled with uh, at Lucasfilm on the Clone Wars. Initially, there was a huge temptation of wanting to sort of remake what had come before or use things that had come before. And George Lucas, to his credit always shut that stuff down you know he would say like i've seen this already i don't want to do that and and we carried that philosophy forward in rebels with dave filoni who of course learned from george um it was you know we were dealing in more original series timeline for that for that series and and again 
there was the temptation of like, oh, let's see Han Solo or let's see all these familiar, a lot of familiar characters or, or situations. And we'd have to be on guard that we're not just, you know, using that stuff to kind of become part of it. <laughs> and you can say in, in a way that was one of the problems with Force Awakens in that it was just like, let's see the greatest hits yeah. rather than sort of move forward. And, you know, seeing Leia and seeing Han, it didn't really add anything new. And it almost would have been better to, to relaunch the universe and see them in the second movie. Mm-hmm. You know, once we had, had sort of established, reestablished the world and done something really new and compelling, yeah, you I mean, know. It's hard to argue with the success of that film financially. I mean, it was sure. such a monster hit beyond all proportion. And obviously it has inspired a whole new generation of fans that love it. But for for me personally, someone who had been a fan from the beginning, it just felt overly familiar. And I was I was let down by that because yeah. I wanted it to push into new directions. Right. It's very played it safe. It played it very yeah. safe. And, you know, finally we got to see these beloved characters come back, but they didn't do anything particularly interesting. They didn't do know. anything. Yeah. Particularly the, the Han Solo character, you know, which is very frustrating, I think, for an audience. Um but, well, you know, maybe one day you can go to the writer's room and talk to George. <laughs> That's a different podcast. <laughs> yeah. But I think that, um, you know, I mean, if we were to stop in the uh, the writer's room of the, uh, you know, George wouldn't be there because, of course, Disney owns true. it. And, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, look, I mean, he was active, as Steve will attest, in the uh, Clone Wars, which Absolutely. turned out phenomenally well, which mm-hmm. is a really uh, significant and successful series. You know, as is Rebels, you know, uh, which is just a brilliant animated series, brilliant Star Wars series. Forget animated, just brilliant Star Wars series. So, um, but there's a lot of content, more and more all the time. Um, you know, it, it's it's kind of in a way disheartening, even regardless of what you think of Discovery, um, that Discovery was something kind of new and fresh in a sense before they started to mine the. Um, uh, mythology of the original series heavily in the second season but you know what do people really care about it's Picard you know right. it's like everyone's really excited about Picard you know yeah. and I'm guilty of that too but it's like again we're not pushing the Star Trek universe forward we're kind of just back in a comfortable like familiar ground familiar ground because we love that character but the heavy lifting's been done right we already you know our people have already fallen for that character you know right. 30 years ago, 25 years ago, you know, and, 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 and now they can coast off the goodwill regardless of whether the show's great or not well, great. certainly before the show is on, they can. Right. Yeah, right. No, that's true. That's true. So, um, but, you know, and that, that always is, you know, it's danger with a lot of these big sci-fi franchises. It's so risk-averse, and that's why it's really interesting to see what will be happening with Star Wars with these new films mm-hmm. because, of course, they're finally, you know, by necessity, letting go of the past and you know, going in new directions. And, uh, you know, I guess the TV series will mine the the existing mythology and the movies will create a whole new world, hopefully. I I think they may, I I don't have any inside information, but I I feel they will start to move off into new directions in the coming years. They have to. I mean, the cast, I mean, already Carrie Fisher is gone. And I mean, yeah, I mean, you can, you have C-3PO and R2-D2 and, 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 um, uh, Chewbacca forever because you know uh, maybe not C-3PO because at some point Anthony Daniels won't be around but um, uh, you know a lot of these characters can continue uh, you know forever pretty much um, 
But How hopefully did we wind they... up talking about Star Wars. Yeah, on yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't I know. I, Star yeah. Trek can, can, yeah. can take a page from that and, and and continue to grow in fresh directions. I, I agree. Know, in the future, I think yeah. I think that's where we are. Which is like you can continue to enjoy you know what you loved about the Star Trek universe. I mean, even as we talk, you know, about season four of the original Star Trek, there is that you can't go home again. There's no way to recreate that. I mean, the comics have tried to do it. The books have tried to do it, but in 1969 is long gone mm-hmm. and you can't step back and do you know just as though no time has passed well, it's just counterpoint is you know as i understand it this was this wasn't an accident that and you guys would know better than i would but uh that one of the reasons why the next generation stayed so far away from explicit references to the original series was that was Gene basically saying that's right Mm -hmm. and I think there was a certain wisdom in that I think though that um, that there's a balance because you know you get great episodes out of bringing the Klingons back you get great episodes out of as long as it doesn't become like the the focus and it doesn't become um, your entire creative endeavor I think that it's something that that opens up the universe I think that that the next generation managed to push us forward while honoring the past at a certain point. Deep Space Nine certainly, I think, perfected that that balance. I'm not sure how well balanced it was. But I want to I want to leave uh, on this note. I mean, yes, it's easy to credit a Gene for saying, "I want it to be 70 years in the future. I don't want it to have anything to do with the original." And it sounds like, oh, that was truly inspired. But as the story goes, it was really. He was doing that so Eileen Roddenberry couldn't claim, his ex-wife, claim that it was part of the original Star Trek and be entitled to 50% of the money. So he was very reluctant, you know, based on the advice he was getting from Leonard Mangelis, his attorney, to make sure that Star Trek The Next Generation had no connections to the original, in a sense. So the lawyers have been mucking around with Star Trek (laughs) all the way back to Next Generation. (laughs) Uh, this is why we can't have nice things. And I, I think <laughs> a lot of people felt that was why he was so resistant to use the Klingons initially, mm. um, you know, and use elements from the original. And then, you know, eventually that changed, whether because there was a settlement. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not privy to that. But but that's that's as the story goes. So yes. anyway, this was a lovely little chat. <laughs> uh, a little sojourn. A sojourn into uh, the past with the great Gene Roddenberry. So, of course, I want to thank uh, Steve Melching for finally joining us on the show. Great having you. Ashley Miller, thanks for coming back. Sure. Uh, and, uh, of course, my co-host, Aaron Docterman. And a very special thanks to Gene Roddenberry for joining us from the past uh, for this very interesting and bizarre little episode. So uh, thanks for joining us. If you're a fan of this podcast, you may also enjoy the 430 movie featuring Steve Melching as we curate a uh, week of um, themed uh movies uh and uh, we have some great episodes coming up so check out the second season of 430 movie um wherever you listen to podcasts also the rebel and the rogue a star wars podcast in which uh, the hosts jason tobias and bevan discuss star wars every tuesday and of course best movies never made which airs every other monday and is 
really, really great, great podcast. That's both Steve and uh, Ashley have been on, and we're wonderful guests. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Very thanks, special thanks to Bill Ritter behind the big board and producer Natalie Miscali here at Electric Surge for all their help in making the show possible. And of course, Dean Devlin without whom we would not be able to keep the electric on at electric. So thank you, Dean. And thank you to our audience for joining us for another week of Inglorious Trexperts. Now, may the force be with you. Steve, you're on the wrong show. You should be doing the Rebel on the Road. So I turn to my helmsman as we exit the turbo lift. (laughs) Engage. This show was produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.